CJSW presents Body Slam Poetry, an eight-part podcast series about Calgary and Alberta's wrestling legacy in the current independent scene. As a lifelong wrestling fan, it's always exciting when you find out someone else is a wrestling fan. I mean, sure. When you go to wrestling shows, you're surrounded by fans, which is cool too. But it's even better when it happens when you least suspect it. This happened to me at the CJSW Halloween party last year in 2022, which took place at the Legion, a venue I associate with local pro wrestling due to the amount of RCW, or real Canadian wrestling shows, I've seen from that same venue. The night was filled with great local bands, or makeshift bands arranged just for that one night, wearing costumes performing covers. Which, a cover is kind of a sort of musical costume when you think about it. Okay, that's enough, Ben, that was corny. Anyway, one of the bands at the party was Fulfillment, a great local punk band. I looked towards the Legion stage, and I had to do like a Looney Tunes-esque double take, like I'm in a cartoon desert, rubbing my eyes at a mirage. But this was no mirage, it was reality. All three band members were dressed in a pro wrestling theme. Most excitedly, one of them was dressed as AEW wrestler Orange Cassidy, who is... Let me explain this to layperson listening. Let me think here. You know uh, David Wayne's all-time classic debut feature film went Hot American Summer? And in particular, Paul Rudd's above-it-all cool rebel character Andy, who wears a jean jacket and aviator shades? What if I told you one of the most popular wrestlers in modern wrestling was directly inspired by Rudd's character in Wet Hot American Summer, wearing an identical outfit and even coming out to Starship's Jane, which is the song that opens the movie. My two biggest passions have always been comedy and pro wrestling. So the origin of Orange Cassidy truly feels like a weird science-like experiment turned dream of teenage Ben come to life. As that is exactly the sort of thing I would wish into reality. Anyway, back to fulfillment. Seeing the band perform on that Legion stage as wrestlers made me realize the similarities between punk and DIY culture to the world of pro wrestling, especially on the independent level. And it's something I've wanted to investigate further for this show. I contacted Kevin Stebner from Fulfillment after the show. I asked if he'd like to be interviewed for the series and he was down. Well, actually, he first asked if I was the guy dressed as Billy Corgan at the party. Corgan, who by the way has his own pro wrestling ties as the current owner of the National Wrestling Alliance, or the NWA, which has existed since 1948. Actually, do people even know who Billy Corgan is nowadays? Hold on, let me get a professional source here. Billy Corgan is an award-winning musician. His group, Smashing Pumpkins, one of the most influential bands in history. Debatable. He's a big Chicago's Cub fan. Who cares? But he's also the president of the National Wrestling Alliance. Told ya! Thanks, MLB Network. And now back to the show. So let this be proof to you, dear listener, that if you want to make connections in this world... Wear a funny costume. It's the best kind of icebreaker. Episode 7, The Punk and Wrestling Connection. The Punk and Wrestling Connection was a term coined by Damian Abraham, the leader of Toronto-based hardcore band F'd Up. 
Their name's something else, but I'm not going to foul up the airways with turlet talk. I keep my language at a hard G rating. Damien has become a low-key wrestling media personality, as he's a regular guest on podcasts put out by Post Wrestling, a Toronto-based wrestling media organization run by John Pollock and Wei Ting. He also hosted a show for Vice TV titled The Wrestlers, which centered on various subcultures of pro wrestling from all over the world, with episodes about topics like deathmatch wrestling, Japanese Joshi wrestlers, with Joshi being the term for women's wrestling in Japan, the wrestling scenes in Congo and Mexico, plus an episode where Damien travels to northern Quebec to see wrestling on First Nations reserves. If you want to learn more about the amazing world of pro wrestling and its various subsections, check out The Wrestlers. And yes, that's an unsolicited plug. The Punk and Wrestling Connection, as Damien dubs it, is about the shared history between punk and pro wrestling. To list some historical examples, a wrestler in Portland in the 1970s named Beauregard, who happened to be one of the first to use entrance music, by the way, made a psych album, which featured a young Greg Sage on guitar before he formed the Vipers. Also, the 70s punk band The Dictators is led by former pro wrestler named Handsome Dick Manitoba. The band Angry Samoans were inspired by the legendary tag team The Wild Samoans. And then moving into the 90s, the great Bob Mould of Husker Du and Sugar would actually write for WCW or World Championship Wrestling in the late 90s on the invitation of Eric Bischoff, who was the head of WCW. So next time you listen to Zen Arcade or Copper Blue, pitch the guy you hear singing and shredding writing for Bill Goldberg and Sting. The wrestler Sting, not Desert Rose Sting. Going back to my cold open, I talked with Kevin Stebner after I saw him dressed as John Cena that night with his band Fulfillment at the CGSW Halloween party. Stebner got into wrestling as a kid, as he explains. I mean, well, like, as a young kid, like, we had... You know the wrestling buddies. So my brother had Hulk, and I had Warrior, yeah. uh, and used those on the trampoline the whole time. But it was like it. I mean, there's really no way around it. It's Brett. You ha- it was. It had to be Brett, especially as an Albertan. Yeah. So uh, as a kid, that, like that was yeah, that was your guy. My brother was a Shawn Michaels person, and that was the Brett person. And then oh, so, of course that feud uh, carried over into the the living room couch as well <laughs> after getting out of pro wrestling in the 90s he resumed his fandom in 2016 after he saw the legendary match on nxt takeover dallas between japanese wrestling superstar shinsuke nakamura and montreal quebec zone Sami Zayn. who speaking of the punk and wrestling connection Sami Zayn is a die-hard fan of winnipeg punk legends propagandi He even wore a propagandi shirt on WWE TV. And coolest of all, he wore his propagandi shirt in front of Stone Cold Steve Austin when Austin interviewed him for his WWE Network series, The Broken Skull Sessions. Now I'm wondering if Stone Cold would be into propagandi. Hmm. Part of what took Stebner's focus away from pro wrestling was getting into punk music, as he explains. I got into punk as, like, I don't know, probably 14 or whatever. And just the mo- yeah, like being uh, gifted or like being shown, you know, minor threat. There was like an old kind of funny punk guy in my town. I'm from Red Deer, and he was all about like Husker Du and the replacements and stuff like that. So like, yeah, you know, obviously you'll start with like Blink or MXPX and shit like yeah. that right off the bat. But yeah. kind of having someone 
in the know early on to show you just like no 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 this is the this is the good stuff like you should be listening to mission of burma instead then you go like oh yeah and then it's that those things ingrained so i yeah i've been playing a band since i don't know 17 years old and have been doing it for two decades kevin is multifaceted with bands including the previously mentioned fulfillment stalwart sons cold water gray screen who this is this is secret the music you're hearing right now was composed by gray screen so good he also runs the labels Bart Records and Revolution Winter, in addition to being an accomplished artist of typewriter art, and so much more. Just barely scratches the surface. Does Kevin take any inspiration from pro wrestling to his music? I mean, I've definitely written songs that have wrestling references and wrestling themes in them. But I would say, largely, it's not necessarily that wrestling is the inspiration, or maybe it could be, but more that there is a kinship between it it's effectively just you know I, I say like punk in but usually when people hear the word punk they'll associate it with just like the genre of music but i mean it more in a diy yeah. like subculture sense in that yeah so punk rock and you know indie wrestling like low end wrestling is is still a weird subculture that most of the mainstream world doesn't understand and it's basically people that just like dedicate something to that they truly aren't making money, but they love yeah. it so much. So it's like I just see like a very a big kinship with like that type of wrestling with people doing DIY punk rock hardcore music. It extends to the present day as well as an AEW or All Elite Wrestling currently. There are two wrestlers, Brody King and Andy Williams, who are in hardcore metal bands on the side with God's Hate and Every Time I Die, respectively. It's such a cool modern thing. And hey, at least they can compose their own theme song. Kevin is a huge admirer of Japanese pro wrestling like DDT and New Japan Pro Wrestling. And for part of his honeymoon, him and his husband spent time in Japan during a pivotal time of year on the Japanese wrestling calendar as he witnessed Kota Ibushi winning the G1 tournament in the legendary Budokan Hall, the same one that Cheap Trick played. Part of uh, we out. Yeah, my honeymoon was in Japan. Yes. And uh, my husband and I, we just wanted to. Ex- part of the fascination with Japan is that it's, uh, it's Western, but it does things in its very own unique way. And so, obviously, uh, with Japanese wrestling, we've we followed New Japan for quite a while, and then you know, largely it was because of the Kenny Omega connection that kind of yeah. started it for us. I mean, we saw Kenny wrestle here. Uh, when he was in New Japan, he did a indie show here at RCW, and it was like uh, there was there this? was fifty people. Like it, there's no one here. Unreal. Uh, it, it, you can find it. Uh, oh, man. I sh- it's it, it, it's it's on YouTube somewhere. They it, they go outside. They yeah uh, throw each other into dumpsters and stuff. Oh, that's remarkable. He kind of does a little more of his uh, DDT gimmick with the Hadoken yeah. the Hadoken moves and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty pretty wild. That's remarkable. And yeah, like you went to like the G one and boot with this. So yeah, so yeah, when when we went, it was the G one, uh, and we it was the the G one that uh, Kota Ibushi won, and so the when he won i've never been in an arena where the entire arena is just like weeps from emotion uh very emo uh type show i don't have enough t- 
time to get into the poetic beauty of Kota Ibushi winning the G1 at the legendary Budokan Hall. But trust me when I say, in terms of pro wrestling moments of the past 10 years, it's one of the most emotional and universally beloved in any promotion. And Stebner and his husband are truly lucky to have been in the arena for it. On a recent fulfillment record, Kevin wrote a song with a direct wrestling theme called Crimson Mask, which he'll explain for you here. The most recent fulfillment record, uh, Ten Colors, uh, one of the songs is called Crimson Mask. So we, I, I wrote kind of conceptually, but every song uh, ties to a color, and uh, Crimson Mask, uh, kind of inspired by the Bret Hart Stone Cold moment, whereas, uh, where, uh, you know, Stone Cold was bleeding, the famous uh, eel face turn from both of them. Yeah, uh, And basically, what crim- the Crimson Mask is blood on the face uh, in uh, wrestling parlance. Uh, and I kind of took that as a metaphor for, you know, you as a musician constantly grinding, constantly getting beat up. Uh, a lot of the, like, the songs on that fulfillment album kind of deal with that idea of grinding and just trying to get through, trying to get someone to listen to you, trying to, like, especially now, like, I'm 38. Like, I, I am conceivably too old to be playing in angry punk bands still, but uh, I can't help, you know, I have the compulsion to keep at it. Uh, But like, and even some of that is like dealing with that age, seeing how the most of the people you grew up in a scene with have uh, moved on or moved or like, or sold out or whatever, however you want to define that. And you as, like, a artist, as a musician, as someone who is still compelled in art, still grinding out, despite the worldly indifference that you're constantly bombarded with. So uh, the metaphor of the Crimson Mask, for me, was uh, one that's just like, I'm beat up, but still going. I also talked to Sick Sick Nation-based Carlin Blackrabbit of bands No More Moments, Iron Tusk, and founder of the annual All Ages Festival Moments Fest, which takes place at Sick Sicka. And he's also currently serving his second term as a counselor in Sick Sicka Nation. He's also a diehard wrestling fan. I have a Bullet Club-inspired shirt that No More Moments put out, so Carlin, let me tell you, is a true fan. When did he first get into it? I think my earliest memories in my life of wrestling was uh, being at my grandparents' house, uh, watching old like VHS uh, pay-per-views, like all the old WrestleManias, like WrestleMania one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. I I remember six in particular just because the Hogan Warrior match oh, and it yeah. was in Toronto. Toronto. So uh, yeah, just just having uh, that exposure to those early like the early 90s like i'm 31 mm-hmm. so like, my first so first what fight. year was that roughly i would say yeah like 90 90 93 94 like, oh wow i can yeah i remember far back like even like even watching like the first episodes of raw like monday night raw yeah oh man like, i remember like rick flair being on like only one episode i think he was on the second episode yeah 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 know, yeah but even like yeah just just you know those early like early 90s WWE, WWF, whatever you want to call it. Uh, 
eventually, you know, w, WCW came along. Oh, that was the... I'm like the product of the, the Attitude oh, Era, man, yeah. the 90s, you know, the EC, or WCW. Here's another amazing moment from his early fandom. Get ready for this. Carlin was also at the WWF Canadian Stampede pay-per-view in July 1997 that I attended. Oh, it was it was unbelievable during right? like during Stampede of all things. Yeah, just the whole atmosphere. Like, is I remember I I think I was like five or six at the yeah. time, and just I went with my mom and my brother, and yeah, we were like second level, but we could see everything. Just all the lighting, it, the production of it was was oh, intense. Yeah. But just remembering the pop of like Bret Hart coming out and. You know, oh when, when Owen rolled up Austin, it was just, it was fun. And Austin just really healing it up. Oh, to that was, he, he did an incredible job yeah. that night. And just like the story they told, I think was like the real hometown crowd. Of yeah. Calgary. Like, Crazy to think that young Ben and young Carlin were under the same saddle shaped roof, watching a truly historic moment, not just Calgary wrestling history, but pro wrestling in the nineties as a whole small world. Carlin has been to plenty of events. He's been to multiple WrestleManias, Royal Rumbles, and he was even at the recent AEW Dynamite show in Seattle from last January. What inspires this lifelong fandom to pro wrestling? It's some, it's something I'm never going to grow out of. It's something I agree. That, yeah, me that's too. part of me. It brings a lot of comfort to me personally. Me like, too. It's something you know. People have always told me. I, I, I made a post about this on online. I was like, you know, I'm never going to grow out of it. I still watch it. I still love it. Yeah. I'll, I'll travel to see it. I'll I'll try to go as much go to as much show local shows here in Calgary. Oh yeah. It's just like it's part of me. And if you know me, you know that wrestling is like a big thing in my life, you know? Yeah. And for me, like on a on a personal level, like with dealing with like grief and loss in my life, wrestling's just been that comfort, you know what I mean? And uh, as a kid I spent a lot of time alone. Not because I isolated myself, it just I loved wrestling so much, you know, and like I used to like write my own storylines and mm. stuff, and it was just I love I love it, you know. And oh, it's... Yeah. In terms of his day job as a punk rock drummer, he told a funny story about how the world of pro wrestling intersected. I'll tell you a funny story. So my band in 2013, 2014, we went on tour. We did like a bunch of Alberta dates. I think it was a Saskatchewan date. But uh, one of our one of our guys had a hardcore title. So we had the 24-7 rule on tour, right? So, you, like, whoever held the belt. Yep. We we got to see whoever held the belt till the end of the tour. So, like, we'd be wrestling on stage. We'd be wrestling, loading, sleeping, hotels. It was fun. And it was snowy outside. Yeah. So we, like, suplex someone in the snow. Or, like, it's just the best thing. And, like, I know you're not supposed to try it at home, but... You know. <laughs> <laughs> you, someone's taken a stunner once in their life, at least. Or Walls oh, of course. Jericho. Like, the, the go-to submission. Of course. Carlin has developed a relationship with Dallas and Blade Hart of Dungeon Wrestling, which is a true dream for a lifelong wrestling fan like him. They, they, we hosted a show out in Sixaga back in May, and we had we had a really great card. Uh, an indigenous wrestler named Wable Star. He he was one of the headliners of the show, but just just kind of like I don't want to be like a mark. Like I don't want to like you know I don't want to disrespect the business. So I was oh. really like I was really hesitant to get in the ring, like because you know I want to earn my into the ring right but uh like dallas bret hart's son yeah. and and his brother there and the whole family like they were just really really great people really yeah. welcoming and like when we started developing this relationship with our uh, health health and wellness department i think the big picture was like let's bring wrestling to the community because we still i always used to hear stories that there's rest there were wrestling events in six ago where i'm from mm-hmm. 
In fact, there's an old flyer I'll send you. It's an old wrestling card from 1957. And there were community members, like like my great uncle, yeah. that were on the card. I'll, I'll find that poster for you. Please. It's amazing. But like that history to now, like we, I my vision is I want to get a lot of my our young people, boys and girls, to train because not you're, you're not only training to be a wrestler, but you, there's a physical aspect to it. There's a yeah. there's a wellness aspect to it, right? Because you can't just jump in the ring, take a take a spot. You gotta like you gotta learn yeah. these moves, right? So we, we I think we're working towards like a wrestling camp on the nation, and then like hosting another another event. So like we've developed a relationship and i think uh like my goal is uh, my hope is that a lot of the young people in my community at least one of them will become a wrestler and go go full on with it i mean it's a dream i've always had but i i think uh when you're in a punk rock band you can't risk injury so <laughs> I, i'm a drummer i need my hands I need my legs, <laughs> or else i'd be all over it right <laughs> but i do i do want to like i really do want to like take some basic training and just like learn to run the ropes or whatever yeah that'd be cool you know, just just treat it with respect. Yeah. What similarities does Carlin see between punk and DIY culture and pro wrestling? Well, yeah, just like traveling in a van with, you know, like sleeping on floors or sleeping, you know, saving money, getting a hotel room together. Like, I see a lot of I see a lot of those comparisons. Uh, and just you kind of got to be like a Renaissance person, almost. So you got to be ready for anything. The, the analogy too, like if an indie star makes it to AEW or wwe it's like a punk band opening up for a big band right like my band we got to open up for propaganda recently and to play the palace theater so that that was our wrestlemania you know that was our that was our all our all out or whatever i can't think of a better way to put it as an indigenous person carlin has seen representation grow in his time as a fan there's there's actually a lot of it like not a not a lot but there's indigenous people that are training to be wrestlers or that are wrestlers active wrestlers so i i said i there's a individual he's from saskatchewan he, he just appeared in AEW dark in portland and so it, it, it's cool to see that it makes me feel proud like even nia Jax, like seeing nia Jax oh yeah perform like it, it's awesome you know like i think all we had back in the day was like tatanka right and but to see, to see more just like my my hope is like when i'm an old man there'll be an indigenous wrestler like WrestleMania or AEW or wherever, you know? That'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. I would love to see that happen too. To wrap up, here's what Kevin Stemner thought about the similarities between punk and DIY culture and pro wrestling. Punk rock is subculture. Wrestling is subculture. It's just a means of stepping outside of the mainstream to create the you know the world the entertainment the art that you want to see in the world outside of what's being delivered to you so the for musicians to do that and for wrestlers to do that there i there is that kinship and there is that like similarity between the two of not being satisfied with the world the art the culture that's being presented to you as it is and you going out and creating your own and so like the wrestling world and like the world of like indie punk DIY hardcore music does the same thing to end the episode here's fulfillment song Crimson Mask which Kevin Stemner described earlier in the episode you can find it on 2022's 10 Colors album which you can download off Fulfillment's Bandcamp at fulfillment.bandcamp.com
for listening to Body Slam Poetry. This episode was written and produced by Ben Goodman. Assistant producer Sophie Chardon. Edited by Jed Mabaza. And music by Grayscreen. Stay tuned for episode 8, Queer Representation in Pro Wrestling. Additional sources, RCA Records, MLB Network, and Fulfillment. This initiative is made possible by the Community Radio Fund of Canada.